in the name of the Lord. Everything is in there. The glory is in his name. The power is in his name. Salvation is in his name. Everything is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Said a name above every name. Hallelujah. I'm glad of that this morning. I'm glad I learned who he is. We appreciate this morning, very special day, it's set aside to honor mothers. I have a poem here from Helen Frazee Bauer, who wrote it, and I thought it was very appropriate. And this is a mother's request. This is what a mother asked. And when uh, her stalwart sons and beautiful daughters come and ask her what she would have like to have for Mother's Day, she got to thinking, the story goes, of all the things that she needed material-wise, all the things she would like to ask them for, some of them were able to give her almost anything. And then she wrote this poem, and she handed it to every one of them. And this is what it says. What do I want for Mother's Day, you ask, my fair young daughter and my stalwart son? Only that you should finish up the task that in life's evening seemed but just begun. The task that I could never now complete of setting forth the way, the life, the truth, except you lend to me your eager feet, your questing spirits, and your gallant youth. What do I want for Mother's Day? No gift that any purse could buy, but one request I make of you that daily you might lift the cross of Christ and publish east and west and north and south the tidings of his grace. What do I want for Mother's Day? Just this, your hands, your hearts, your voices for my Christ. This is the ultimate of earthly bliss. There is no comfort I have sacrificed for you that was too much. So do not bring the casual token, but when ways grow rough, then light my twilight with remembering your mother's God for you is still enough. I thought that's probably the best gift and yet the most priceless and yet the most costly gift that any child could give their mother, and that's themselves, their feet, their spirits, their heart, their eagerness, and their youth to further publish the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so wonderful to be able to pack it, pass a legacy and a heritage on to your children to know that when your hands get too feeble to do anything, then you have other hands that take over. When your feet get so weary and so tired and so weak that they cannot walk the mile, you know that you have other feet that you can set comfortably down and know that other feet have been put in the pathway of holiness and righteousness. And nothing better to realize that when you uh, pass the dawn of your day and the evening sun begins to set in, you realize that your influence or your life, in other words, and your strength is gone. And although you have a heart to be able to do these things, uh, you still don't have the strength to do it. It's good to know that you have introduced unto another heart, the love of God, the presence of God, and power of God to know that what you lived for would never cease, but it would continue on. There's no better heritage, there's no better influence that can be left than this. And I don't think a mother could ask for any more costly thing as far as uh, material things. This is not a material thing. You can buy something, you could spend money, you could give it to them, but what most mothers' heart cries for is just an extension of their hands, of their heart, and their abilities, and their mind to know that when they lay their head down, somebody else is still alive carrying on. And it's a privilege to be able to know that that happens. This, of course, is Mother's Day, and we spent some time wondering what we should do concerning it. We had been teaching on the... Uh, the gifts that God gave the church, the fivefold ministry, but I felt something on my heart this morning that I wanted to talk concerning Mother's Day, a challenge that actually comes out of the Bible. Now, in our nation, Mother's Day has been a very special occasion since 1914 when President Woodrow Wilson signed a resolution recommending 
that Congress and all of the departments of the government observe a day set aside just for the mothers. Although this is a custom, to me it's a very worthwhile custom, and one of God's basic Ten Commandments is to honor our parents. You'll find out in Exodus 20 and 12 where it says, Honor your father and your mother. Now, one of the apostles writing that said, This is the first commandment with promise. A lot of people don't realize that with this commandment comes a promise. Without this commandment and honoring it, there is no promise. It says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. I wondered as I read that, I realized that in our Western world especially, we have so departed from that. And I wondered if this could not be the reason some of the yields and problems it is our land today, simply because we have not realized the importance of keeping this commandment. I'm not so sure that every Christian parent has ever really properly introduced this commandment to their children. Now, that may not be the case with you, but I'm sure it is the case with others. Not only are our sinner homes destitute and void of this commandment, but a lot of times in our own Christian homes we don't introduce the power that is in this commandment and the responsibility that is in this commandment. Because when you look at it, what does it really mean to honor your parents? I mean, on Mother's Day, why we say, well, I can get them a gift, I can send them a card, I can visit them, I can give them a telephone call, and all of these things are nice. But the word honor simply means to regard or to treat with respect, do obedience and courtesy. And that's not what a parent expects alone, that's what God expects. You see, our, basic, our country is founded upon the basic principles of God. We have become a great nation simply because most of our laws are taken from some of the laws or the laws in, that Moses gave. And we based our constitution and our government upon some of the things that Moses wrote down, the laws, commandments of God. You see, God had more commandments than just the ten. And we have taken those things, made our constitution out of it, and God has honored us as a nation because of that. And you'll find in the early days of the establishment of this country there was due obedience and due respect to parents which carried a promise. And a lot of times children get the idea that that's what parents expect. But if we can get the idea, first of all, that's what God expects. That's what God asks of us. And when children no longer treat their families and their parents with honor and respect, then the family structure breaks down. You'll see this almost every place, the structure breaks down. And when that happens, it's only a matter of time until the nation morally collapses. And I think we need to recognize that our nation is on the verge of a moral collapse. There's just one thing that holds our nation together as a beautiful, precious United States of America, still one of the most basic free places, the most prosperous place that there is, but yet the most immoral nation now has passed Sweden as far as immorality is concerned. And all of this because the introductory thing has not been introduced to our children. Or if it has been introduced, it has been, been completely ignored. And family breakdown where there's no honor to your parents, to your mothers, to your fathers, and then naturally there becomes no honor if you cannot honor those who brought you into this world. There's no possible way you can honor anything else. If you cannot honor the rules and regulations set down in a home, you're never very likely to honor the rules and regulations set down in your community. In other words, you see a child that is willing to be obedient to rules and regulations laid down at home, and parents not afraid to lay down rules and regulations. You see, a lot of times we blame children for what is happening in our world so much, but let's, let's be honest with ourselves. How many rules and regulations have we laid down before them, and how many times have we expected them to be obedient to those things? 
If we lay down rules and regulations before them and say this is the law of this house and then allow them to be disobedient to that law, then they get old enough, they raise up in the community, and we have a law of a community, and they feel like it's just a law placed there to be disobedient to. And so you see, what God's commandment is, is that we honor our father and our mother. And then it says that your days may be long upon this earth. And so you see a moral breakdown in our homes, and then you see a moral breakdowns in our community, and then you see nationally a moral breakdown. Now, if on the other hand, a nation does maintain a strong respect for its parents, and this is basic. I mean, this is basic things we don't realize so much that it begins right at the home. I mean, we see the chaos in this world and how things have gotten completely out of hand, and we think this is something that just happened, but it had its start, and it had its start in the home, and it had its start with failures of the parents to insist upon respect, maintaining that in children that do not intend to give it. So you see, no matter what difficulties that a nation would face, if they respect their parents, they can endure any hardship. You can watch our nation as it struggled in its infancy to become what it is. And there was always a respect in the home. There's always a respect in the church. Then there was always a respect in the community. And because of that, we withered every storm, a little nation that should have been defeated immediately from the great power of England managed to get its independence. And then we have endured civil wars, and we have endured hardships, and we have endured all of these things in order to become the great power that we are, only to see our nation begin to disintegrate, to lose its power, to lose its respect. You see, we used to be respected of other nations. We have lost that simply because children lost their respect for their parents. That's where it begins at. And if a nation can find respect in the home, then that nation survives. I read something to me that was very interesting. And I read that the Chinese have the longest continuous civilization of any people on the face of the earth. And then in reading that, this individual pointed out that few people have ever had any harder struggle for survival than the Chinese. They've endured famine, they've endured internal and external wars, revolutions, overpopulation, and on and on you can go. And yet, in spite of this, there exists a strong family relationship, and they have resolutely honored their parents. And the parents have loved their children. And it's so ingrained in their culture that it's almost considered a religion. Now, regardless of all the idols they worship, and regardless of how far off they might be as far as their worship to the God that we call a God someplace, somewhere, they got a hold of a commandment that would hold the fiber of a culture together. They got a hold of the fact that if a nation is to survive, if a civilization is to survive, then it survives upon the respect and honor of parents. So nothing characterizes society more than the love that the Chinese parents have for their children and the deep respect that the children show toward their parents. And I thought as I read that, that ought to be a mark of Western civilization, especially God-honored United States of America that we could realize that the fiber of our society and what we are today is because somewhere, somewhere back in olden times and up until a few years ago, proper respect was shown. Parents loved their children. Parents realized that the first thing they do to their children is introduce them to God. Introduce them to the fact that they respect God. And if they respect God, then they respect their parents. You can't divide the two. I mean, you can't show respect for God and disrespect your parents. The Bible bears that, this out. But in our Western culture, now we've lost much of the proper respect for honor of our parents. In a lot of cases, parents are ignored, they are abandoned, and they're discarded, especially the elder, older ones as having no more use. In other words, 
United States of America, millions of older people are neglected and up to one million statistics say up to one million parents are abused every year. And they're not abused by strangers. This physical and this emotional abuse is not usually committed by strangers or individuals that they don't know, but it's committed by their own children. They have outlived their usage. They become old and senile, maybe set in their ways, and our life is too fast, and so children find no more use for their parents, and the proper thing to do is put them off someplace where they'll stay out of their way. It's hard to believe. I realize that. And you wonder, how can individuals do that? But the Bible does talk about a time that would come when individuals would be without natural affection. First Timothy bears that out and says, For men shall be lovers of themselves. Now, it's impossible to reach out to anyone else as long as you're selfish just to love yourself. So when a man loses respect for his parents or when he becomes a lover of himself and his own ideas, his own opinions, and his own life is worth more than anything else, then he loses respect for his parents and says they'll be lovers of themselves said there'd be lovers of money, said there'd be boasters and proud and blasphemers, and they'd be unthankful, they'd be unholy, they'd be unloving, they'd be unforgiving, they'd be slanders, said they'd be without self-control, said they would be brutal, brutal, and said they would be despisers of good. And then I want you to notice something we don't think about too much in all of this that it's talking about men are lovers of themselves. Men become lovers of money, they become boasters, they're proud, they're blasphemers, they become unthankful to their God, they become unholy in their living, they become unloving, they become unforgiving, they become slanders without self-control, they become brutal and despisers of God, and yet, overlooked so much, sandwiched in between there, is these words, disobedient to parents. Sandwiched into all of this, is the one thing that so often we overlook. How can the Apostle Paul, talking to Timothy, rank all of these together? And you've got to realize what he's talking about is he's there. Individuals, again, let's go over it again. Individuals that love themselves, work for themselves, grab for themselves, loved money. Money became the priority, number one. Become boasters, they become proud, proud and they become become blasphemers, blasphemers of God. Then they were unfaithful, become unholy in our living, become unloving, couldn't love, become unforgiving, slanders, no self-control, and you see that everywhere. They become brutal, and then they despise God. And you're wondering, how could the Apostle Paul then write disobedient to parents and sandwich it and put it all into the same category and put these individuals that are disobedient to parents in the same category with the same uh, judgment upon them simply because it is one of the basics one of the things that God says is responsible for all of these things you find individuals that are like that you'll find individuals that are disobedient to parents in the way they're upbringing so we need to ask ourselves a question this morning are we meeting our responsibility now some of us don't have parents some of us do but are we meeting our responsibility to our parents? Have we done the very best we can for them? The Bible plainly teaches us that abuse, neglect, disrespect of our parents is totally contrary to the way of God. Now, the Bible also teaches us that old age ought to be a time when we can look forward to this. And yet, so many people dread old age. Proverbs tells us in the 16th chapter, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory. But when you look around, there's so many trying to cover up the signs of age. Now, we look at that as pride. We look at that as maybe it's a hideous sin. And some of that possibly could be. But have you ever looked at it in this vein, that because of the disrespect for aged individuals as they grow older, and, of course, the sign of age for a lot of us, of course, is gray hair. Some people are fortunate enough never to get gray. And those that begin to get gray, some of them begin to try to cover up 
the signs of age. You have your skin stretches and you have your hair dyes and all of this. And we look at it and we think, my, that's awful. Why would they want to do that? But have you ever considered the disrespect that older people get? Have you ever wondered if maybe this is why? That individuals may not want to look old because there's something about humanity that wants respect. And God says it should have respect. But instead of uh, uh, the silver hair becoming a crown of glory, sometimes it just becomes somebody that is getting older. And some of these days, if they're not already, they're going to be in their way. And so maybe you might look at it in this direction. It's a new way to look at it. Maybe they realize if they showed their age, they wouldn't get the respect that they desperately need. When individuals become older and some of their abilities are gone, then the Bible tells us that the last thing an individual needs, psychologists everywhere will tell you this, but the Bible's been ahead of them for years, the last thing that a person needs is to be honored and respected. If he can have that, it doesn't make any difference if his hands can't move his feet are limited or he can't see or he can't hear, if they know they are respected, there's something about life that is worth living. That's why you find a lot of people wasting away in nursing home praying to die because respect has been gone. Respect has not been given. Now, the Bible shows us and tells us that old age is a time when we have a right to be treated with special honor. It says in Leviticus 19.32, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man. And I'm sure this means woman too. Now let us ask, let's, let's ask ourselves the question, how often do you see this type of honor and this type of respect? It's a sin. And in our society, old age, is the, our old age or the signs of aging is considered an embarrassment. It's considered a nuisance. And friend, we, when we were young, we needed our parents. We needed them desperately. And now as individuals creep into old age, parents need us desperately. Now, that doesn't mean that we've got to, uh, got to cater after every whim or every desire. But we do have to find out what respect really means. And if we have given it, no better or higher example of love, as far as that's concerned, an honor for his mother was than that of Jesus. I mean, it's not Jesus our example. I mean, he came here to be our example. He set forth an example. And uh, we're talking about mothers this morning. And Jesus set probably the highest example of love, honor, and respect for his mother than has ever been written about. Even when he was about to die and uh, his brain was bursting more or less from the pain, his thoughts were for his mother and for her welfare after he was gone. John tells us about it. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, or the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to that disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. He was not willing to leave her out here. Joseph had long since died. Evidently the other sons or the other children that she had born had in a sense disrespected or forgotten their mother. But Jesus was always the prime example of his love for his mother, and he was not willing, realizing he had a higher thing and a higher calling, was still not willing to leave his mother in a world without some security. And so he turned his mother over to the disciple that he loved. He provided for Mary, even in his greatest need. And Christ had needs then. He remembered the fifth commandment to honor his mother. Now, I wonder this morning how many of us are following the examples of Jesus. Now, it's easy to find excuses. Easiest way in the world to find excuses. Now, uh, Jesus corrected the religious leaders of his day for not teaching the importance of honoring and providing for their parents. I don't know if I can find that in St. Mark or not. I need to find that and read it if, if I can uh, locate it. The 7th chapter, 10th and 11th verse. Ninth verse, it says, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you might keep your own traditions. 
You see, Jesus had a problem, the same problem we have today. He had a problem getting people to believe the Word of God and to believe His commandments. They made their own traditions and so traditionalized these things that it seemed like that was a commandment of God. And, of course, we haven't traveled too much farther down the road. We have gotten traditions introduced into our church as far as dress and actions is concerned that we actually believe that this is a written commandment of God. And yet it is not a commandment of God. So it says you reject the commandment of God that you might keep your own traditions. For Moses said, now they said, we're going to believe what Moses said. And then Christ has put him on the spot here. Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whosoever curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, now he's telling them, you said you was following Moses' commandment. And he's saying, I'm telling you what Moses said, Now I want to tell you what you say. You say, if a man say to his father and mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father and his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions which you have delivered, and many such like things do ye do. Now, in just interpretation of that scripture in actuality, the Pharisees was telling people that if one's obligation to the temple or to their home or whatever their obligations was made it impossible to uh, be with their parents, help their parents, and so on like that, then God would understand. But the truth of the matter is, he's pointing out that God wouldn't understand what they were doing. He's writing here, or Jesus is talking here, is in direct defiance to the fifth commandment. And Jesus said, now you're making the word of God a no effect. Now when I look at that, I wonder what he's talking about. You make the word of God of no effect. In other words, I think he was trying to say that if you set this commandment aside and refuse to be obedient to it, how many more are you going to set aside and refuse to be obedient to that which makes the whole word of God of no effect to your life? So it might be good for us to look at and see. Now Jesus, I'm wondering, would Jesus say the same to us today? Older people become the more that they need to feel recognition and appreciation for their past efforts and for their accomplishments. There comes a time in lives when there is not as many accomplishments as we had when we were younger. There comes a time then when there is no accomplishments. There comes a time when we can't put forth efforts as much. Then there comes a time when we can put forth no efforts. So actually what we are and what we come to at times is we're sitting down and if we're resting on anything and if we're living on anything, it has to be upon past efforts that we've made and past accomplishments, things that we have done that we need to be honored for. And there's a failure in that. There's a failure in that in the church. There's a failure of, of us honoring the past fathers of churches and, and the past saints of churches for efforts they have already made, efforts that should never cease accomplishments that have been done. That's not to say there should never be no more accomplishments. There should always be. But we should never forget what has been done in days past? should never forget the hours that our parents spent. Prayer, intercession, patience, trying to raise us the right way and suffering under the load. And if I'm any judge of what children do, a lot of them nowadays, is it's the priority, I think, and I find that sometimes in, in my household, as well as others, it's priority, number one, to try to make parents guilty for the things they didn't do. And there again is direct disobedience to the Bible and disrespect for your parents. And there's a lot of things that parents didn't do. I've, I've said, if I suppose if I had to live my life over and know what I know now, I would have probably done some things different. But I'm like the Apostle Paul. I can't dwell on what's past. It's past. I can't do anything about that. 
but I do have a future and things that I realize that that has to be lived by. So I'm wondering sometimes if Jesus would say the same thing to us. And we need to realize again that past efforts and accomplishment, our parents need to be always remembered. They need to be reassured by their children that their efforts have not been in vain, that they have been appreciated. They appreciate everything they have done and realize if they could have done better, they would have done better. And they need to feel like they're still wanted and still needed. Now, Jesus knew this. And that's why he sent the, or had written the fifth commandment so they'd not have to spend their last years in emptiness. And a life that seems to have been lived. And it sets us. The fifth commandment sets us on the right course in dealing with our fellow man. The way we deal with parents... So the way we're going to deal with fellow man. They're not going to be any different because this sets her course. If you can't love your own flesh and blood, if you can't honor and respect that which brought you into this world, emotional needs. As far as I'm concerned, Mother, Mother's Day is a good custom. But there's more to it than that. Every day ought to be Mother's Day. Every day ought to be Father's Day. Every day ought to be Parents' Day. Now, there are some good references that we need to follow as far as Mother's Day is concerned. And some of the mothers are the past and how they set before us examples of dignity, examples of respect, and examples of honor. A lot of times, Eve is somebody that we look down on the mother of all humanity the the mother of us all and uh, most of us remember from eve the fall of humanity we remember that somebody said one time if it wasn't for mothers where would men be and there's a little voice piped up in the back and said in the garden of eden <laughs> But I doubt say very seriously if that be the case, I would suspect if Eve hadn't have, Adam would have. <laughs> but Eve is remembered mostly for the fall of humanity. We blame her for it. And, but we fail to overlook the motherly instinct that was in Eve. We fail to see that. There was a first promise of a Redeemer in Genesis, the third chapter, where God says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel now in a dispersion from the garden just like God always does he never puts judgment upon us until he puts a promise with it because judgment's too hard for us without a promise all throughout the Bible you'll see when Israel was judged with a judgment also with that judgment came a promise and of course Adam and Eve was judged with a judgment cast out from the garden of Eden uh, cherubim, seraphim with flaming swords stood there and guarded the way when they couldn't come back in. But with this dispersion and with this judgment came a promise. And uh, that promise was that there was going to be a Redeemer come from the loins of, of Eve. And of course, Eve probably thought that that might happen in her lifetime. And when she bore her first son, I think there was some hope stirred in this woman. There was murder than instinct in her because she realized what she had done. She realized the world she was living in now filled with toil and labor and, and the pain of childbirth and thorns and thistles and, the, and all of this while they were fighting nature. In the Garden of Eden, they enjoyed nature. And I think she realized the mistakes she made as she looked back on what she had left and what she was in now and, of course, naturally, she was looking forward to that Redeemer. And the Bible tells us when the first son, King, was born. Our English version has it, I have gotten a man from the Lord. But the old original tells us that from is supplied. It's placed in there. And actually, what Eve was saying or thinking is, I have gotten a man from the Lord. There was something about her, her motherly instinct, to believe as she looked down upon that child, which later was to disappoint her. She had actually thought in her own life that she had brought forth a Redeemer. 
and that most probably they wouldn't have to spend too much more time outside the Garden of Eden. Of course, she was disappointed. Cain became a murderer. You see, one sin always leads to another. But we forget the instinct of this mother, and we need to look at that. That's passed on. And if we look in Genesis 21, we see Sarah. Uh, we see a woman here that had uh, given a concubine to her husband. And uh, we see a woman here that had seemingly disregarded a whole lot of the things of God. But it was Sarah that first noticed Ishmael, Ishmael was mocking Isaac at the feast. Now, the father didn't notice that. But there was an instinct in this mother to look after the promise. This was a promise. This was the promised, uh, uh, promised seed. And uh, Ishmael then, being 13 years old at the time, and Isaac was being weaned, and she noticed that Ishmael was mocking Isaac. And it was then that she insisted that the bondswoman and her child be cast out because she realized something prophetic. She realized this, that flesh and spirit cannot dwell together. She realized that. She realized that this was the son of a bondswoman and this was a child of promise, and there had to come a time, a weaning time, when they couldn't live together again. Now, uh, one of the uh, writers brings this up and says this is an allegory. This speaks spiritually concerning us, that we, there comes a time when fleshly nature has to be cast out, and the spiritual nature, which is the power of the Holy Ghost, has to be the prominent one. And it points this out to us in this as an allegory, and uh, this mother... Sarah points us out what a church ought to be like and realize that, that uh, it speaks concerning Jerusalem that is now in bondage, but it speaks also about a Jerusalem which is from above, which is free from all. And so it talks to us and tells us, and this is a motherly instinct, as this mother realized there's a conflict here. This is the promised child. This is the bondswoman child. They can't dwell together. There has to come a time when they depart. Now, could I submit that for the most part in churches and in Christian lives, both are dwelling together? Could I submit that to us, that we have the power of the Holy Ghost? That's the seed of promise. And we also have this carnal, Adamic nature. And they're dwelling together. And there comes a time when one or the other has to leave. We can't be stretched too far. And that's what God is demanding out of his church today is that we're being stretched too far. We're trying to hold to one, trying to hold to the other. And he's saying that there has to come a time when one of them has to be cast out. In other words, they can't both dictate to this mind at the same time. And what God is wanting is for us to be brought under control of the thinking of the Holy Spirit of God. And also there was the mother of Moses. And if you'll notice the instinct of protectiveness that this mother had where she risked her own life, there must have been something about that lady that realized that this man was born for a purpose. There's something about mothers that know this. Amen? Something about spiritual mothers or mothers that, 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 that are spiritual that know God. There's something about them that realizes what they have when it comes out of the womb, as they hold that screaming, uh, kicking, crying, uh, uh, little nothing in their arms, they don't see that. They see something that can be placed in God's hands that can become a Billy Sunday or a Billy Graham or, or any of these people. They see that with a promise. And so this mother of Moses, when all the children were supposed to be killed, and if those children wasn't killed, or well, then the mother or the parents would stand in jeopardy. This mother risked her own life. And not only did she risk her own life, but she was willing to give her child up for a season. And so she makes a little whatever and puts it in the bulrushes. Pharaoh, you know the story, Pharaoh's daughter uh, comes and receives it and raises Moses up in the palace of the Pharaoh as far as warfare is concerned. And then Moses had to make a choice. And you know, I still say again, I don't know how long. I don't know how long Moses' mother had him. But she had him long enough to instill the God of Israel in his life. 
Because it is he, when he made the statement, you know he didn't get this in Pharaoh's court. You know he was never introduced to Israel's God in Pharaoh's court because they were worshiping the Nile and calves and almost anything else uh, in, in Egypt. So Moses could not have been introduced to Israel's God in Pharaoh's court. His introduction had to come from his godly mother. At whatever age, I don't know. So actually it's saying to us that we can introduce God to a child at an earlier age than we realize we can. Because the scripture tells us that Moses was willing to suffer and do away with the pleasures of this world. And it also tells us that he knew God. And then, of course, you go on down. You can find them all over. You see Hannah, most fervent prayer of Hannah, and her desire was to give birth. Now, knowing the pain, knowing the agony that comes with childbirth, why would a mother want to pray for birth? There was something about it in this great woman's life that she wanted a child. And she gave Israel its last and gave Israel its greatest judge. And, of course, we come down to the life of Jesus, and we mentioned that shortly while ago. Maybe we can go into it a little more than that. And even the life of Jesus was shaped by his mother. How many ever really looked at that and realized that in spite of that God that indwelt that human flesh, there was something about this life, this flesh here, had to be shaped by the mother. That certain things had to be introduced into this and she had to shape his life and I want you to notice uh, that when Jesus was 12 years old he decided it is time for him to be about his father's business but evidently it wasn't and it took a mother to get him called again and saying now it's not hardly time for you yet you see they took him to Jerusalem and they had been gone two or three days, and of course you say, well, that parents don't watch their children, but they traveled in groups, and each one was supposed to be responsible for others, and it was easy for a child to get lost. And Jesus was uh, in the temple answering the questions and, and astonishing the, the teachers of the law, and they went back and found him there. And Jesus said, why do you seek me? Don't you know I have to be up and about my father's business? And of course, Mary, don't say what she said, but I think she called the young man and said, you're 12 years old and it's not time for you to do that. Yet, you come right on and you'll be under subjection to me. And so he stayed under subjection until the time. And that time appeared, of course, at the supper or the marriage. And, uh, of course, when it came time for wine and he ran out of wine, Mary looks at him and says, you just do what he tells you. And uh, Jesus looked at her and said, Woman, what have I got to do with you? Mine hour is not yet come. But there was something about Mary's voice that said, Yes, it has. Now's the time. Now's the time for you to begin. So he began his ministry with a miracle. A miracle of turning the water into wine. And then you find on and on you could go with these, and maybe we can cut this short a little bit. We find the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, there, this mother was so distressed because of her daughter. And she wanted healing for her daughter. And she wanted it bad enough to uh, cross a dispensational line, I suppose. She, she was a Gentile. And she goes to Jesus. And she makes an appeal. She said, Lord, my daughter is sore vexed of the devil. And Jesus looks at her and said, well... What do you want me to do about it, in a sense, in paraphrasing it? He said, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And this woman was so persistent, and motherhood was so much in her that he could call her a dog and get by with it. She wasn't interested in the names he called her. She was interested in her child, something about motherhood inside. And she said, Lord, I don't want the children bread. I realize that belongs to them. But this mother's heart had got a hold of something. This mother's heart had got a hold of the fact that as the children eat, crumbs fall under the table. <laughs> she got a hold of that. And she said, I don't want their bread. All I want is what they let fall under the table. It's just going to go to waste. That's all I want. And Jesus said, your faith has made her whole. And that's all she got. She didn't get any bread. 
I've often thought that uh, God moved a dispensational line, but he couldn't have. There's no way his word held it there. But she got exactly what she asked for, which was the crumbs. The things that the Jews at that time disregarded, and she got the crumbs that fell from the table of the children, and that crumb was enough through a mother's faith to bring healing to her daughter. I wish to God that you and I who, and I say this often, who have the whole loaf, a whole loaf of bread is ours and we're God's children and we sat down at the table. I wish we could do just as much with the loaf as this little lady did with the crumbs. Amen. So mothers deserve respect. And that's the commandment. And Ephesians talks about it. Galatians talks about it. Corinthians talks about it. Timothy talks about it, and all and on. But again, in this day, you're going to see dishonor. You're going to see rebellion in children toward their families. And all of this, Now I said all that to say this. I'm coming to something, so I want you to listen. We denounce this. We deplore this. We speak out against this. And certainly it's the reason that things are as they are today, and in this generation, in various ways, people die young. You never see, I've never been able to see or never have seen, as many young people's deaths of various diseases and accidents as there is today. And I have to believe that this is because of the commandment that they disregard. But I want to talk about something else in closing for a few minutes. Job 14, 1 and 2 says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. So we know that this is the fate of humanity. We know that we are a few days and we're full of trouble. Come forth and bloom and bud like a flower and get to our strength and macho until finally we're reduced to something like this. <laughs> a lot of us are reduced to that before we get old. Amen, Daniel. <laughs> Preacher and quit mailing. Huh? <laughs> but this is the way of man. And I want to talk this morning before we're dismissed about another birth. Jesus, in speaking to one of the smartest men of that day, which was Nicodemus, says something that has sent a challenge down through the generations of time when he said, Ye must be born again. In other words, to have a chance for eternal life, you must be born again. And that real smart man said, How can a man be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb the second time? And be born again. He didn't understand. A lot of people don't understand today. But Jesus said, The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou canst hear the sound thereof. Can not tell from whence it came or whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spiritual God. In other words, there has to be a spiritual birth in all of our lives. There's no getting around it. And in order to have a spiritual birth or a birth, you have to have a mother. All right? And so in order to have a spiritual birth, you have to have a mother. And who is our mother? Galatians 4.26 says, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now remember, this is an allegory, simply mean a meaning implied but not stated. So our mother is the church. And Hebrews, in Paul's writings to them, tells us that we are not comers to Mount Sinai with its thunders and lightnings and so on. But it says, Ye are comers to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is a type of the church. God shows Jerusalem above all the other places to dwell in. And for ages, God has ordained that the church would be his dwelling place. A place for him to dwell. In Jerusalem was the sanctuary. There was a place for God's presence. Now the church occupies that place. 
And it is from the church that we have to get our nourishment and we have to get our life. Now in Jerusalem, the names of the citizens was re, uh, enrolled in a register. And so now the members of God's church are enrolled in the book of life. The church had its beginning in Jerusalem. It's going to have its ending in Jerusalem. Revelation says in I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now I said all that to say this. The church is your mother. And now then I want to ask you a question. How are we treating our mother? You see, I, I spent all of this time telling us the necessity of honoring and respecting our natural parents, especially today as Mother's Day. And yet we come down to some very basics, some very honest things that we ought to face. We have been brought to birth by our church. Somebody somewhere travailed in birth and anxiety in closets, interceding, being mocked and laughed at and scoffed and still with a hand fastened to the truth, refused to let it go, and lived a life and presented it, till you finally came into this world a crying a little baby, spiritually speaking, brought forth by your mother, which is the church. And you owe this mother an allegiance. You that have been born into this particular church, it's your mother, and if it, you haven't been brought to birth by this, it's, it's sustaining you now. You owe this church something. It's your mother. You owe it respect. And if we respected someone or somebody, we wouldn't disregard them and run them down all the time. Amen. We would respect it for what it is. My mother, God bless her. Has got just as many faults as I've got, almost. And I know that. I realize that she certainly is not perfect. But when I look at her, I think she is. All of these other things that could get my attention away from her doesn't mean anything. Her life is coming to a close. She's lived a good life. She has introduced me to God, her and dad together. She has prayed for me. She has interceded for me. She's put up with me with things that she should never have put up with. And yet she loved me. And she would not dare to throw me to the wolves. She wouldn't do it. And with all of the imperfections that my mom has, I love her. And I wouldn't do anything to tear her down. And I wouldn't allow anybody to say anything about my mom even if it was the truth and I don't think that we ought to ourselves or to allow anyone else to say anything about our church even if it is the truth you should look out and say look this is my mother you're talking about this is the one that feeds me, cares for me, wipes my fevered brow, and raises me up and, and, and gives me what I need and clothes me with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And I realize she's not perfect. But as far as I'm concerned, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. So our mother, the church, needs respect. She needs to be treated right. And many times, the ones that cry the loudest about the generations of disrespect and of the natural mothers are the very ones that show disdain for their spiritual mother. And the Bible's still crying, and I think it can be terminated spiritually, spiritual terminology the same, honor thy father, which is Almighty God, Jesus Christ, and honor your mother, which is the church. And then we have to turn around with a challenge to mothers. 
And ask us as a spiritual mother, have we been or are we being the type of mother that God expects? How have we raised our children? What is the example we set, spiritually speaking, what is the example we set before our children? The Bible says, as the mother, so is her daughter. And there's more truth in that than fiction. That's a biblical statement. So what do you do? You look at your children and ask, do they possess the attributes? Naturally speaking, you look at them and you ask, do they possess the attributes, characteristics necessary to get along in this world? Then you have to look at your children, been a spouse through you, and you have to ask, have we presented to them a holy daily life? Have we lived the life before them, not insisted they do as we say, but have we said do as we do, and then presented an atmosphere, and so tenaciously held fast to God's unchanging hand and His formula? Have we presented this and instilled enough attributes in our spiritual children to get along in this world and to live in this world without dying an early death, and also enough to inherit the world to come. And I think probably that's the greatest challenge that could be set forth at church. You see, we've said it often, and you must have heard it before I came, but I know you've heard it often after I come. We are responsible not only to bring children and bear them into the kingdom of God, but we are responsible for what type of individual they are. We're responsible for the diet we feed them. We're responsible for their growth. We're responsible to take care of them in sickness and in health, and we're responsible to keep them healthy individuals so when they get in this world, they'll have the abilities, instincts instilled within them to inherit an eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think at the end of one of the sermons of one of the great men, he said, think on these things. Begin to think about what type of a mother, and now this is Mother's Day, but fathers can take it, our day's coming. But what type of a mother have you been to your children, all you mothers that's here today? In combination of what type of a mother are we to our spiritual children? Have we instilled a respect? Have we laid down guidelines and laws? It's necessary for them to follow. And I'm not talking about tradition. Jesus said, because of your traditions, you make the word of God of none effect. I would like for us to get past traditions, and Pentecostals are just as traditionalized, or maybe more than anybody else. And if we could get past our traditions and get into the word of God and let individuals see what God's word says, not what our traditions say, God's word will bring us into truth, bring us into reality. So we're, I've got some more, but I don't want to get into it. It's within a minute or so. So we're living probably in the closing hours of our dispensation. Jesus definitely is going to come. How many of you believe that? Jesus definitely is going to come. He said he would and not tarry. And he said whatever work he did, he was going to do quickly. So you see, generation after generations have drug on and on and on, each one expecting the Lord to come. But we're living, I don't know if I'll see it or not, I make no brash promises, but we're living so close to the end of time that the Bible said the generation that you see all of these things happening in is the generation he's coming in. It didn't say part of them, but all of these things. There's very few of what isn't happening in our day. Our nation is like God said it would be. Immorality is everywhere. Nation rising against nation. Individuals taking sides. Uh, uh, false religious atmospheres is crumbling. 
individuals that had put their whole hope, their whole desire in certain things as the PTL and all of these things have been left wondering and lonely and disturbed. All of these things are happening and God is saying, I'm going to shake all of that which is shakable so that which is unshakable shall remain. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to let him shake my tree just as much as he wants to shake it. And I want to be one of them that's still hanging on to his unchanging hand when the time comes. I want to say, yes, Lord, I've got what it takes. And that's you. I've never looked any other direction, God, but to you. Men will fail. But Jesus never fails. God bless you.